You know, the last two Sundays, we looked at the struggle that we have in living out who uh, God says we are and the importance of walking by the Spirit in order to live for God. Today, however, I want us to look at what is key to accessing all that we have been given in Christ Jesus. You know, listen, folks, it is one thing for us to possess what God has given us, but it's another thing to access and experience all that God has given us. And what is the key to experiencing it all? The key is simply this. The key is faith. And so today, I want us to look at living by faith. Let's start with a definition that I've written down, and then we will go from there. Look at this definition. Faith is a trust in God and His Word that leads one to acting in accordance to God's will. All right, let's read that again. Faith is a trust in God in His Word that leads to one acting in accordance to God's will. See, as we go along, hopefully you'll see where I got that definition because above all, what we want is a definition that is in line with God's Word. You see, if I just come up with a definition and give that to you, then someone else can come along and give you a definition and they can say two different things. And so what we want to see today is how is God's Word revealed to us that this is a truth of what faith is. In fact, we'll begin in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where it states this. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. In some ways, we're given a definition of faith here. It does say faith is, does it not? What, what does this verse tell us about faith? It says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Assurance in some versions is translated substance. They say it's a substance of things hoped for because the idea here is that it involves something that is tangible. It is tied to something that is real. You know, many people have an idea of what faith is, but there are some things that faith is not. Faith this morning, folks, is not a denial of the obvious or pretending that you believe something that deep down inside you don't believe. Faith is also not an anti-intellectual where you check your brain at the door. It is also not just a feeling that you have or even a shallow, positive mental attitude about things. Faith is not these things. You see, true faith is based on something that is real and of substance. That is why you can translate this verse, assurance. You can count on it. To make it plain, let me state it to you this way. Faith is placing your trust in something that you can count on. Now, how many of you have seen the pictures of the new glass bridge in China? Have you all seen those? If not, let me show it. Here's the first picture. That is actually a glass bridge in China. I have a couple others that shows you from a distance to show you how big this thing is. Look how, how big that bridge is. How many of y'all would walk across that bridge this morning? Some of you, there, I, I don't think I could, all right? I personally don't think that I could cross it. I'm a little afraid of heights, and that might be just a little bit too much for me. But do you know what? To walk across that bridge, you have to have faith. I mean, you have to have faith that the glass that you walk on will hold you and not break. You have to have faith that the person who designed it was a good engineer and knew what he was or she was doing. You have to have faith in the builders that they did quality work and build it to the specifications of the engineer. You have to have faith in many things. To walk across that bridge, you'd have to look and say, I place my trust in all those things, and I believe that I can count on getting across that bridge. Now, I will guarantee you this. If you found out that the builder of that bridge had buildings that had recently collapsed from faulty construction, my guess is you wouldn't walk across that bridge, would you? 
Or how about that engineer, if they had a reputation of not adequately figuring loads and stress points, you wouldn't walk across that bridge, would you? You know what I'm saying, right? If you don't have to believe that you can count on something, then you're not going to trust in it. You're not going to have faith in it. It even is like going into surgery, all right? If you have to have surgery, you have to have faith in your surgeon. If your surgeon has a reputation of being a great surgeon and not making mistakes in surgery, then you'll probably go in there with a high degree of faith that everything will go well. But if that surgeon has a reputation of having a high failure rate in surgeries, my guess is you won't put your faith in them and even let them do your surgery. You see, faith is indeed placing your trust in something you can count on. Now, if you understand this aspect of faith, then this is what we have to understand. The key question then becomes... What is the object of your faith, okay? If, if faith is trusting in something I can count on, then in the key is, am I counting on the right thing? So what is the object of our faith? Now, since today we are talking about living by faith in general, the question becomes, what in life are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? And don't be too quick to answer that question. You really need to consider where are you placing your trust, Maybe this morning you are a college student trusting in your study habits to get good grades so that you can get a good degree and find a good job so that you'll have all your needs and taken care of. Maybe you are a business person trusting and working extra hours to try and land that big contract that will make your year a success and give you financial security. Maybe you're a single person today hitting up the dating sites trusting to find that right someone who will satisfy you and make life satisfying for you. Maybe you are religious and you're coming to church singing songs, listening to a message, saying prayers, trusting that your religion is enough to please God and to make up for your mistakes. Today, people, my guests this morning, are trusting in many things. Maybe I didn't hit you, but you're trusting in things today. And let me go ahead and, and, and make it plain and say this to you, all right? If you are trusting in anything that I have just mentioned and many more things, you are misplacing your trust. You are placing your faith in the wrong thing. For folks, hear me when I say this. There is only one object of our faith that is worthy, and that is God. He is the only one that is worthy of our faith. None of the things I mentioned can you really count on. You know, you can be a good student, get great grades, end up with a great degree, and think, man, this is, I've got the perfect day, and still not be able to find a job. Happens all the time, all right? You can work hard in your business and still not get that big account or find the security that you long for. You can find what you think is the perfect person in life, only later to be let down. You can be religious and still find in your life that you are empty on the inside. You see, folks, only God can fully be trusted. In fact, think about what the Bible tells us about God so much. I'm just going to hit the highlights this morning. In Psalm 92, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or, or, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting, look, to everlasting you are God. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Look, he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. In Jeremiah 32, 17, it says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Look at this. Nothing is too hard for you. Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the water waters of the sea as a deep, he puts the deep in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in eye in him, eye in him. For he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. 
And then Revelation 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. All right? You know what those verses remind us of this morning? You know what they remind us? Again, that's just a few verses from Scripture. Listen, it reminds us that God can be trusted. Folks, listen, God was before time as we know it. God is the one who created the world we live in. God is the one who is everlasting. God is the one who is in control of all things. Therefore, if you want to build your life on something, all right, that's worthy, then God is the one to build your life upon. He is the only object that is worthy of our faith, all right? Now, if God Listen real closely. Okay? If God is the object of your faith, then it makes sense to say that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Okay? You hear me? If God is the object, it makes sense to say that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Since he can be counted on, since he can be trusted, if you place your trust in God, then there is an assurance of the things hoped for. Now, with that, though, we should probably ask, well, what should we be hoping for? If it's the assurance of things hoping for, then what should we hope for? Well, let me state it to you this way. We can hope in the promises of God as found in the Word of God. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 119. Look at this. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promises, do what? Give life. Now, Psalm 119 is one, if not the greatest psalm, highlighting the importance of God's Word. And so the whole psalm lists up the importance of God's Word and the value of obeying God's Word. But here in verse 50, the psalmist made it very clear that during his affliction, where he found hope was in God's promises. What he knew is this, is that God could be trusted. And so if God had made a promise, then he had something to hold on to that he had something that he could hope in. Peter himself wrote to people facing great difficulties, and he wrote this to them in 2 Peter 1. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted uh, to us his precious and very great what? promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Here, Peter is reminding believers that God's promises are the things indeed that allow them to actually be a part of God's plan and even to do his will. You see, as a believer puts his or her trust in God's promises, then that believer will act according to the promises that God has given them. Some may even ask, can I really put my faith in God's promises? Well, 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25 reminds us this, that all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fall, falls, but the word of the Lord remains for a while. No, the word of the Lord remains how long? Forever. See, according to this passage, the only thing that will remain forever is God's word, which contains his promises to us. In fact, God's word points us, all right, to our ultimate source of hope. And the ultimate thing that we can trust in, that is Jesus Christ. You see, I didn't even read the last part of 1 Peter 25, so let me do it now. And it says, and this word is the good news that we preached to you, all right? But the word of the Lord remains forever, hear it, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. 
What is the word that lasts forever? It is the word of God that leads us to the truth of Jesus Christ, which is God's greatest act of love to us, his greatest promise that he has ever kept. In fact, in Romans 10, 17, it says, so faith, look at this, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of what? Of Christ. See, here's what we need to know. The greatest promise that God has ever made is that he would send a savior to the world, that he would send one who would take care of our greatest need, our need for forgiveness and the need for a new life because sin had caused our death. God then kept that promise in Jesus Christ, and now today faith comes as we hear the truth of Jesus Christ, and we are changed by the truth that Jesus died for us. He died out on a cross to take care of our sin problem. But more than that, he rose from the dead to give us life. And as we place our trust in Jesus, we not only receive the promise of eternal life, but we open our lives to experience all the promises that God has made, those promises that are found in his word. And when you trust in Christ, you truly find an assurance of things hoped for. However, we need to consider the second part of Hebrews 11.1 1, where it goes on to say, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, but look at this. It also says the conviction of things not seen. That word conviction can be translated proof or evidence, evidence of things not seen. But maybe conviction is the best way to translate it because of this. Look at this. Faith involves trusting God when what, seems, when what we see seems truer than what God says is true but is unseen. Right? Y- y- y'all need to get this one, all right? Faith is trusting God when what we see seems truer than what God says is true but is unseen. Can, can we all just admit that at times it's hard to trust in God? Can we? Be- because we cannot always see how things are going to come to be. Right? Can we admit that? In fact, let's just together say it's hard. Let's just say it. All right, it's hard sometimes. Right? It is just hard sometimes to believe. The problem, folks, though, is not unique to our time. Let me hear you. This has been a problem throughout time. Let's take Adam and Eve for example. They were the first humans, and they experienced a unique, unique relationship with God because He would even come and walk with them in the Garden of Eden. If you remember the story, God gave them everything in the garden and told them they could eat of every true tree but one, which God told them this in Genesis 2, 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, after God had made this and he was gone and and Adam and Eve was there, Satan comes along and he questions what God has has told. And so uh, the the woman begins to doubt, did God really say that? And and Satan said, you know, God didn't really say you're going to die if you eat of this fruit. You're you're not going to die. Really, it's not going to happen. And after that conversation, we read in Genesis 3, 6 this. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was, a look, a delight to the eyes and that she, the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it. And so she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now, if you know the rest of the story, it came with great consequences when they disobeyed God, right? In fact, death even came into the world. And here's the reality that Adam and Eve faced. God had said, you eat of the fruit and you will die. But what they saw said this. What they saw with their eyes says, I mean, this fruit looks good. It looks good for food. It's a delight to my eyes. I can see this. I can't, God says, I'm gonna, if I eat, I'm gonna die. I don't see that. I I can't see that, but I can see the fruit looks good. It is pretty, it's delightful, and I'm ready to take it because I even hear maybe if I eat of this, I'll be wise. And so in that moment, what did they do, all right? Listen, you see, 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 I had a doubt. 
again, keep in mind, God had told them they, they were going to die. But can you understand this? Even at that moment, Adam and Eve didn't know what death really was because they were the first humans. They had not ever even experienced death. Most of us have a reality what death is, right, because we've had loved ones who have died. Adam and Eve hadn't had that, all right? They just had God's word that said, if you eat, you're going to die. Then they had a fruit that looked good. It said, man, I think it's going to please me. And so here we're remembering they're in this, and what they they do? They let their eyes win out. Unfortunately, they chose what they saw. In other words, they failed to exercise faith in God. They trusted in their eyes rather than what God had told them. Now, folks, we are faced with this all the time. But faith is the conviction of things not seen. Even when I cannot see the outcome or I may not even be able to understand how certain outcomes are even going to come to be, I still have to look and say, God has made me a promise, so am I going to trust in him? This is true for the very basics of faith. Think about this, folks. I, you, have never seen heaven, have you not? Anybody here seen heaven this morning? No, don't raise your hand. We haven't seen heaven, but listen, by faith, I trust that God is making a place for me. I believe in it with all my heart. Even this morning, I have not physically seen Jesus Christ, but I know that he died for me. You see, if you're going to have to have faith, you truly have to trust God, even when things are where you cannot see them. So let's think about it this way. When God's word says this in Luke 12, he comes and he says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Then down in verse 29, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, look, and all these things will be added to you. Now, we hear those words, and here's what we say. All right, I get it. All right, I understand. God says I don't need to be anxious. I just need to trust in him because he'll provide for me. That's what that says, right? Shake your head this way. That's what that's saying. But then here's what we do. We look around, and we see the bills that we have to pay. We see the kids are growing so fast we cannot keep them in clothes. We see our teenagers eating us out of house and homes. We see the letter that comes from the school saying that there's something, another thing that requires us to pay a fee, right? Amen? Y'all get that all the time? The pressure from others to be involved with all of these expenses activity and to top it all off, they are talking about layoffs at the office and you say, I hear what God says and it gives me concern because of what I see. And so what you're doing, you're faced with a question in that moment. Am I going to be anxious about life or I'm going to trust in God? God has told me, listen, don't be anxious. Why? Because I, got an, I will provide for you if you seek me first. I will take care of you. And so here we are. I hear what God says, but I see everything around me that worries me. So I've got to, am I, I going to trust in God? We then read in Romans 8, 28 that says, and we know that for those who love God, all things, listen, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We read that and I say, I get it. I hear what God says, but my world is falling apart around me. People I, I love are dying. My job is uncertain. I've had so many unexpected bills. I, I'm not sure how I'm going to pay them. The diagnosis at the doctor was bad. I hear what God says, but I don't see how any of this in my life is working out for good. And you're faced with the question, am I going to trust God? Is that work for good? Or am I just going to see the bad? Let me take a moment and say this, folks. 
Sometimes the good is hard to see. Amen? And sometimes the good that God is working comes after your lifetime. In fact, uh, there, there's so many examples that I give, but Sean had read this recently, pointed out this week, so it's it a great example, so I'm going to share it with you. There's a man named Robert J. Thomas. He was born in Wales in 1839. He gave his life to the Lord, and he became a missionary, being ordained in 1863, and he got, got a heart for the Koreans, China. He took his wife, and they moved to China, giving in to the call of the Lord. They'd only been in China for four months after his wife died. Think about it. I've given my life to the Lord, a missionary. Four months into this thing, my wife's going to die. Thomas then, again, with that heart for the missions in 1865, he went to Korea. He learned the language and began distributing Bibles at the risk of his life and the lives of those he gave it to. In 1866, there was a huge uprising, and many, even Roman Catholics, were murdered for their faith. And later that year, Thomas became an interpreter on a couple of different ships, which he distributed Bibles all throughout Korea. And while an armed African-American merchant marine schooner called the General Sherman, he was an interpreter on that boat, he came along to the crew near, I, I, I'm probably not going to say this. How do you say this, Pyongyang? Is that close enough? It is what is the current capital of, of North Korea today. When he came across that on that boat, um, they went under attack, and all these ships and Thomas were all murdered. Okay, They were all murdered. A 20-year-old youth named uh, Wang Myong Day, y'all just take my word for it, witnessed the act. He was so impressed with Thomas, who continued to witness, even as he was being captured and killed, later embraced Jesus Christ and became, became a founding member of a church near Pyongyang. All right, however you say that. Also, Thomas's executioner was convinced that he'd killed a good man and later began to read the Bible that Thomas had been handing out. Shortly after Thomas's execution, an edict was issued banning the Bible, and though many were burned, uh, there, many people burned their copies, others wallpapered their houses with the pages, and over time, those pages were read, and many people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Even today, though communism reigns in North Korea, there's a strong underground church that has survived. And though we might look at Thomas's life and say, oh, what a waste. I mean, what, what happened? Look, he gave his life and he died. God would look and say, in that life, he brought so many to Christ and he didn't even know about because they came to Christ after his life, after all that he has done. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? You see, God even was working for good. Here's what is true with faith. We have to consider, are we going to trust what God says or are we going to trust what our eyes see? And folks, what God says today is surely most important. And let's consider how important it is for us to have faith because in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says this. Look at this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I hope you heard those, these words. Folks, listen. It's not difficult to please God without faith. Okay? It's not difficult to please God without faith. In fact, it is impossible to please God without faith. You see, faith is essential to the life of a Christian. And if you have faith in God, you have to not only believe he exists, but believe he rewards those who seek him. In other words, you have to believe that he even has your best interest in mind. Now, some might ask, oh, okay, I hear what you say, but 
Brother Scott, how do I know that I have faith? Well, here's the thing that makes all the difference in the world. True faith acts in accordance to God's will. In other words, when you have a faith in God, it affects what you do. If you say you have faith, but then you do not act accordingly, hear me. If you say you have a faith, but then do not act accordingly, you do not really have faith. Are, are you with me this morning? Now, if you look here in Hebrews 11, I don't have time. So later on today, if you'd like, go back and read all of chapter 11. But here in Hebrews 11, I, I want to hit just some highlights of what this text says. Because in, in verse 7, it says that by faith, Noah constructed an ark. In verse 8, it says that by faith, Abraham obeyed and left his homeland. Then it says in verse 17, by faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. In verse 27, it says Moses, by faith, left Egypt. And in verse 28, by faith, kept the Passover, believing God would deliver from the destroyer. In verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. In verse 30, by faith, the people marched around Jericho so that the walls would fall down. And these are just a few examples, but all these people by faith, listen, acted by faith. They did something. They didn't just say, God, I have faith in you and do nothing. Their faith caused them to act. And keep this in mind, it wasn't always easy for them to act by faith. Remember, when Noah built an ark, you have to remember it had never rained on the earth before that time. And God says there's going to be a flood. No wonder his neighbors probably made fun of him, right? Going to be a flood? What are you talking about? Never even rained, right? There's going to be a flood. Noah said, hey, never seen this rain before. God says there's going to be a flood. By faith, I, I, I'm going to trust him, all right? When Abraham left his homeland, he was leaving security for the unknown. I wonder if any of those that, that, that knew him said, Abraham, why are you leaving a sure thing? You got it pretty good at home. Why are you leaving? Or when he was offering up Isaac, hear me when I say this. Not only was the act of giving up his own one and only son had to be very difficult for him because, remember, Isaac was born to him in his old age, but if he was to sacrifice his son Isaac as God told him to do, he was giving up his future because in that day and time, guess who took care of the aging parents? Yes, especially the oldest son, and God was saying sacrifice. Now, we know, thankfully, Abraham didn't have to do that, but he was willing to do that. Moses, remember, he left the riches and the power and the prestige of the Pharaoh's home in Egypt. For what? To go out in the wilderness and be a shepherd. Doesn't sound like a very good trade to me, does it to you? I'm in the Pharaoh's house. I'm wealthy. I have prestige. I'm going to go ten stinking sheep. But he did it anyway. And when you think about a crazy battle plan, how is it when you're told, all right, you see that walled city? I want you to just march around it, and when I say, give a shout. Well, that's a great battle plan, right? <laughs> what about the battering ram? G give me something. No, walk around it, and when I tell you to, shout. I'm sure the general said, y'all crazy. But you know what? God said it, and guess what happened? They won, right? In each and every situation mentioned in Hebrews 11, faith, hear me, Faith was demonstrated by action. They heard what God wanted them to do, and so they did it. They acted in a certain way. Why? Because they had faith in God. Now, some of you are going to look and say, well, yeah, and all those things turned out great, but my situation is different. That's probably what you're thinking, right? Well, first I will say this. 
None of those who acted knew at the time exactly how things were going to turn out. They simply trusted God. Because you know what? When you act on faith, things don't always turn out the way you think they should. For example, I told you just about Robert J. Thomas a while ago showed us that. Also, we need to look at verse 32 and following because in those verses I looked at, we mentioned many people of faith, but we must remember there are many more people of faith than the ones I've mentioned this morning. Look at back in verse 32. The writer goes on to say, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell. In other words, he's saying, I don't have time. That's like me. I don't have time to tell you about everybody. He said, time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith, look at this, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sore, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put, form, uh, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. See, again, the writer here says, I don't have time to tell you about every person of faith, but here's a few more, and he rapid fires them, right? And think about how inspiring these stories are. These people conquered kingdoms, stopped the mouths of lion, escaped the edge of the sword, received back their dead by resurrection. How exciting it must have been for those people of faith, right? Would you like to have been one of those? Raise your hand if you'd like to have been one of these people who conquered and escaped flames and everything turned out great. Go ahead and raise your hand. You would, yes. Yeah, you would. All right, but, but, but listen, let's consider this next group because he goes on at the end of verse 35 and he says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others, look, suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves upon the earth. Wow, I want to be in that group. No, do you? I bet there's no takers on this group, right? This group of people doesn't seem so appealing to us. Some of you are going to say, well, Brother Scott, you mean if I have faith, it might mean suffering or being destitute or mistreated? You bet. You bet. It might mean that for you. Let me go ahead and tell you. Those who teach you that following God means nothing but health and wealth for your life have failed to read the word of God. Because sometimes if you follow God, it might mean persecution for your life. It doesn't mean everything is going to be easy. Do you hear me? There's times that you will suffer. We have many missionaries, for example, that can tell you how they've had to sacrifice for God. My guess is every missionary has a story about how they've had to sacrifice. But in fact, I should say this. Every person who has ever followed God should realize that times it's going to cost you something. Because if you want to do what God wants instead of what the company wants, you might get fired. If you forgive others as God asks you instead of holding on to grudges, you might find others get mad at you because they say, why aren't you mad at them? They won't understand why you forgive as you have done. Faith might mean instead of living high on the hog, you live modestly and instead give to others. Having faith and following God can mean many things, but I am certain of this, that it will require action in some way or another. Action that in the end means that God is pleased 
and you will be blessed. And let's not forget that the greatest blessing from God will not even, hear me, will not even come on this earth. For even the writer of Hebrews said at the end of chapter 11, look at this, and all these, all these, how many of those people he mentioned? All, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You see, the main promise of God, hear me, the main promise of God will never be realized on this earth. The main promise that God has given us is eternal life in heaven with him. And that's what we should be looking towards, okay? Things can go great on this life. Awesome. Heaven is going to be much greater, amen? Things can go horrible on this life. Praise God, heaven's coming, right? You see, that promise is none of us will receive all of God's promises on this earth. It will happen someday when I'm in heaven with the Lord. And so if you want to know what it will mean for you to have faith, it might mean that you give your life to Jesus or you have that difficult conversation. Having your faith in Jesus might mean you write that letter that you've been meaning to write or you make that phone call you've been putting off or you sign up for the mission, mission trip that you've been avoiding. You make the move overseas. You adopt like you've been talking about doing. You sell the house. You leave the job. You get rid of pornography. You choose a new group of friends. You change your habits. You get into a small group. It could be many of those things because here's what faith ultimately means for you. You do what God has revealed by taking the step of faith that God has been asking you to take. Even if you're not sure how it's going to turn out, you just say, God, by faith, I am doing what you've asked me to do. And when you get to the end and you wonder, well, Brother Scott, how can I do this? This is so hard. How can I act by faith? How can I care? Here's what you do. You remember the words that start chapter 11 or chapter 12, where it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In other words, if you want to know how do you do this, okay, look, I've got to finish this out. Sorry, let me finish it. I stopped too soon, didn't I? Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me tell you how you do it, okay? You draw strength from the people of faith who have gone before you, and you keep your eyes on Jesus. See, some of you this morning, you want encouragement to have a faith that trusts in the right thing. Maybe this morning you need encouragement to trust God even when what you see seems truer than what God has said to you. Some of you need encouragement this morning that, that, that you want to act this morning because God has told you to do something and it's hard and you're not doing it. Not. How, how do I do this? Well, here's what you do. You take encouragement and you look back and say, you know what? I see the people of faith of old. Guess what they did? They trusted in God. They did what God asked them to do. And God worked through their life. For some of them, hey, it turned out, man, things were great. For some of them, it was a struggle. But I look at the people of faith and I say, if they did it, guess what? If they did it, I can do it too. And above all, we keep our eyes upon Jesus who died for us and says, listen, if Jesus is willing to die for me, 
it's not such a big thing for me to give my life for him. Amen? And when I keep my eyes on Jesus, it says, Lord, yes, I can walk by faith. I, I pla place my faith in you because you've already showed that how much you love me, You're willing to send Jesus to die for me. If you love me that much, my act of faith is not such a big thing, Lord. And I know what my eyes see, but God, I'm, I'm trusting in you. I've read in your word that you can be, God, I'm taking you at your word. And what you begin to do is say, God, I am going to walk by faith. Let me ask you this morning, are you living by faith? Remember, without faith, you can't please God. But I believe today, if you'll have a genuine faith, here's what you find. That God can be trusted. And if you will place your faith in him, then this morning you can act accordingly. So as we come to the invitation, maybe I need to ask this today. Are you trusting wholly in God? Are you? Because if you will, trust him wholly. Today you can live by faith. Let's pray. Father, as we come into this moment of invitation, I'm, I'm struck with the reality that God, that faith sometimes can be very difficult. Father, we are people that love to live by sight and what we see and what's a sure thing. But Father, I pray that you'd help us to realize the things that we see on this earth that seem to be sure things often, Father, don't turn out to be such sure things. In fact, as your word said, everything on this earth we can trust in is going to pass away. And so, Father, help us today to understand there is only one thing that we can truly trust in, and that is you. And help us to place our faith in you and you alone. God, as we come to this invitation, Lord, I don't know what needs to happen. There are some this morning that I believe by faith need to come and trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord. That they need to find forgiveness of their sins today. And I pray today that they would come and, Father, find that forgiveness and receive Christ. But others today, Father, they need to come and they just need to commit to acting by faith and living by faith. Because some, Father, here this morning, they, they need to trust that their marriage is going to be okay. Some need to come and trust that, that their kids are going to be okay. There's some need to come this morning and say the job situation is going to be okay. And the Father, they're going to come and say, if they just trust it all to you, that things are going to be okay. And so I pray by faith today that people will come just at this altar, come to you and say, God, I'm trusting this to you. So bless this invitation, Father. I'm sure many need to come and place their faith in you this morning. And so I just pray as you speak, as you call, they will listen. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.